In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. A blessed Gaudete Sunday to all of you, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. If you can believe it, we're already over halfway done with the season of Advent. And I don't know about you, but lately I've felt like time has just been on warp speed and it's just gone by way too quickly. If you look over at our Advent wreath, you'll notice we now have the two blue candles lit, and as of today, the pink candle will be lit for the rest of our time in this liturgical season. In the Western tradition, the third Sunday in Advent is named Gaudete, which means rejoice in Latin. Historically, Advent has been understood to be a penitential season, setting us up for great feasting and joy when Christmas comes. While some use their Christian freedom in this season simply to, to get through it, to casually doing as much good for their, for their neighbors as they can, others use their Christian freedom to intentionally deepen their devotional practices. They do things like attending midweek services, fasting, spending more time in prayer, and giving alms to the poor. Think of it like a training regimen for a professional athlete. Of their own free will, athletes take it upon themselves to discipline their bodies in preparation for a big event. They do things like dieting and weight training, for example. Advent, and especially the season of Lent, are very similar to this. It, it really is a beautiful thing for us to long for our Messiah, to feel that hunger and thirst for him and his appearing. And as any athlete will tell you, all the preparation is well worth the effort when you finally taste the sweetness of victory in the end. So too in our preparation, we anticipate the joyous feast, the victory party that is sure to come when Christ appears. Thus, Gaudete is meant to give us pause and a reminder of the Christmas joy soon to come. We're invited this day to take a deep breath and slow down and rejoice in the Lord's goodness to us, which no amount of busyness or self-imposed discipline can eclipse. For we know that the Lord is faithful and merciful to us, even if we are faithless, even if we don't keep the fast. Indeed, all the scriptures testify to that fact. So we rejoice this Sunday especially, knowing that our Lord will fulfill his promises in his good timing. And our laboring and stresses, our weeping and mourning, will soon give way to joy without end. In our gospel text appointed for today, we find our Lord Jesus gently reassuring a now imprisoned John the Baptist and preaching a little homily about him to the crowds. In what seems to be a moment of weakness and vulnerability, John the Baptist asks Jesus if he is, in fact, the Christ. And we should note how Jesus responds to him. We might point out in the first place that Jesus doesn't march over and spring him from his prison in a loud 
heroic feat worthy of some Hollywood movie. Nor does our Lord devise an intricate, subtle plot to have him freed. No, Jesus very mysteriously has John the Baptist continue to endure the suffering of his imprisonment. Think of that. Our, our Christ, our Lord, the very fountain of all goodness, lets the pain of John's imprisonment continue. But despite that fact, Christ nevertheless gave him exactly what he needed at that time. Our Lord sent messengers to tell John that the scriptures concerning the Messiah were being fulfilled in real time. In the preaching and in the miracles of Jesus, the curse of old was being lifted and the dawn of a new creation had arrived. And blessed is the one, our Lord says, who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one not scandalized by Christ's humble form and the way he does his work. A gentle word for John, who suffers for righteousness' sake. Can you imagine the deep joy those disciples must have felt that day in their spirit, dear ones, as they went to him in prison? I wish I were there to see the relief that that message must have brought John, to be a servant of the light of the world, sent to break John's gloomy darkness in prison. What an honor. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, what a great joy it is to make known to you this day that the restoration of creation in Christ continues even now. Only it's not as though this restoration can be seen with our eyes as of yet. It's what our Lord himself says in Luke 17. At present, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Right now, Christ's work is hidden. But there will come a day when his work within you, of bringing you to faith, of restoring you from the inside out, will be manifest for all to see. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But lest anyone be tempted to think ill of John the Baptist, the herald of the kingdom above, our Lord takes it upon himself to speak of his greatness. And that's what I'd like to focus on for the rest of my homily this morning. You see, the crowds to which Jesus spoke weren't pleased with the desert-dwelling baptizer. Many despised him and even slandered him, saying he had a demon because of his ascetic way of life. John was a preacher of repentance. His work was to humble God's people so that the Christ, the Mashiach, in due time would lift them up. And in a very real sense, John's way of life embodied, it reflected his message. He lived in the wilderness. He was a rugged man dressed in camel's hair. And if you think modern diets like the keto diet or being a strict vegetarian are extreme, try the locust and wild honey diet. John was exactly the type who would be so bold as to call the Pharisees a brood of vipers. He was unyielding, like God's holy law. Thus, Jesus asked the crowds, What then did you go out to see? 
a reed shaken by the wind, a man dressed in soft clothing? The point is, of course, that John was a true prophet of God and more than a prophet by our Lord's reckoning. As strange and off-putting as he may have been, our Lord himself says that among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And perhaps we can see why our Lord would make such a statement. For, for who else could so wonderfully capture the preparatory work of the law and the prophets? What other mortal stood at the threshold between the Old Testament and the New? Who else in all of human history had the honor of baptizing the Christ? Something not even the angels were given to do. What other man began a baptismal ministry that overlapped with the Messiah's very own? Great indeed was John the Baptist. His ministry was water. Christ turned it into wine. John led God's people to the Christ. Christ leads them to the Father. John baptized with water. Christ baptizes with the Spirit and with fire. And, of course, it was fitting for the last of the Old Testament prophets to be martyred bearing witness to the truth. For Christ himself was higher than any earthly prophet and was martyred as the truth. Truly, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. But my dear brothers and sisters, we have reason to rejoice this day in what Christ has done for us. For no longer should we count ourselves as those born among, of, of women. We have now been born again, born from above, by water and the Spirit. And our true mother is the very bride of Christ, the holy Christian church. And this is why our Lord says, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. He's not saying John wasn't a Christian. But what he is saying is that something altogether new has come. God has become man and he has given to man new birth. Neither John nor anyone before him could give what our Lord has given to us. The Son of God became a man so that we men might become the sons of God. He comes to live the life we never could, our Lord does. That is why he comes. He comes to credit all the merits of his divine life to our account. He comes to die on the cross, to pay for our sins in full, and instantiate a kingdom greater than any other. Unless you are born from above, you cannot even see this kingdom. Unless you have been born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter this kingdom of heaven. But through this new birth, which you have received, you have now become an eternal citizen of this kingdom of heaven, over which reigns the one who was crowned with thorns. John came before this kingdom was manifest. He came heralding its coming. But we who are within it, find ourselves in an even greater state of blessedness than he. 
we are baptized into that name above every name. John came as one heralding the kingdom of heaven, and Christ came to bring us into it. Gaudete, dear friends. Rejoice. To Christ be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.